And he's not just talking about marriage, finding ways to serve your friends, finding way to serve your neighbors, finding way to serve even your enemies, you know, people in your community, people in your housing unit, people in whatever. Right. It's one love. Like Bob Marley said, it's one love. Either it's there or it's not. When it's there, it's there. When it's not, it's not. And then we have to find our way back to it. Okay. Mm -hmm. You can build the heart of a lion with a strong mind and spirit because a lion's natural state is one of safety through courage, strength, and power. Hi, I'm the shepherd and pastor, Dr. Matt Hook. And I'm the shrink, Dr. Marty Fletcher. This is the show where theology meets psychology or mental health meets spirituality. Welcome to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Matt. Kind of glad that the last two years are behind us. Oh, man. It's a reminder to me every New Year, something hit me, I think in 2016, and it's this. The last year, 2021, was a temporary assignment. It is gone. And if we take more than about six or eight sentences to describe what happened to us in 2021, people think we're weird. Uh, yeah. What, what, how would you do that? How would I describe 2021? Yeah. I would yeah. say it was a, a challenging year, but it was a, a good year for some things that took place in our family and a challenging year for other things that took place in our family. My daughter-in-law and son had a miscarriage. That was huge. Oh. She lost her dad, who's exactly my age. And that was really hard. And walking with her through that was was really powerful. At the same time, so many good, positive things going on here at the church. We started seven initiatives to help steer our congregation, not just through 2021, but into what we believe would be God's future. Good, man. So, that's what the church is there for, man, mm-hmm. when, it's, when it's functioning. Yeah. And finding ways to do ministry, finding ways to help people, finding ways to help people connect and belong in a year of COVID, in a year of mm-hmm. being agile, in a year of of figuring out how to open things up, how to be cautious, how to do stuff. Mm-hmm. So you know that Kathy and I got the Rona during I know. Christmas. I know. Crazy. Did you feel bad? Um, it was nothing. No, it was a day of a headache and body aches and chills, a little bit of nausea. And then every day I started getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just glad Kathy, because she's still in chemotherapy, that she, she she actually fought it up better than me. Wow. Or maybe she just didn't complain as much. Yeah, she's tougher. Yeah, The man flu. Yeah. No woman can understand it. <laughs> that is so true. And you know exactly what we're talking about ties in with our theme for the new year of 2022 and the idea of two or better than one every one of us needs Mm-hmm. relationship. Yeah. Nice. See how you did that? You segued right into our topic. That's it. it it's hard to avoid the topic of relationships because we are living and breathing human beings. And I think that we have exacerbated relationships with online presence, with politicization of everything, mm-hmm. with COVID, with isolation, with not knowing who's doing what and what's okay anymore. There's a lot of shifting sand. You're right. And people need to remember, be very careful and suspicious when someone is trying to divide people. Mm. Diablo means divider, right? Yeah. Um, That's how he works. So uh, uh, what's the principle? If you're not loving your enemy, then you're not following uh, fully. Yeah. You have to be patient with, with people who disagree with you. 
get off your ego. And I'm talking to myself too, because we all do it. We all struggle against it, but we got to have that as a target, you know, to be uh, patient, tolerant, and to love everybody. If it's going to be, if your love's going to be complete, it can't be just for the people who adore you. Right. Even Hitler liked his friends. <laughs> you actually invoked Hitler. Uh, congratulations. How Even Mussolini <laughs> liked his friends. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's true. And it's so easy just to categorize everybody and say, ah, they're the problem. They're the problem. Mm-hmm. We just lump people together. I heard some, a wise Kenyan pastor friend of mine. And she said, when we start treating people like adjectives instead of nouns, then we are in trouble. Yeah. that's a good when, way of putting when it. When we label people, I hate labels. I hate labels. Well, how do you avoid them? You know, just find the right label. We have to think, you know, and that means we have to categorize. So we have right. to be very careful with our categories. Yeah. And in terms of relationships, I mean, everybody's a label until they're a relationship. Mm-hmm. And here's something, when I take the strengths finder test, one of my top strengths is positivity, which of course, sometimes when I first learned about that, I'm like, oh, that's a shallow one. No, it's not. It's so, uh, I hate you that you're so good at it, man. It, it's it, Because this world is just teaching us to, um, well, first of all, you know, we're mammals and we're threat sensitive. That's how we survived. Mm-hmm. So the key is to disqualify threats quickly because the fact of the matter is there aren't a whole lot of physical threats to us, right? When we compare ourselves with history and we take a look at how technology has helped us uh, in, in the operating room and, and with medicine, you know, a lot of these are false detections that we have and we just don't know it. So to disqualify the threat and feel peace, because that's following the path following the way of Christianity, that was the biggest difference in me, right? Is that I was, I was no longer as afraid as I was, you know? And, and we know that um, with perfect love, there's no fear. So if we're feeling fear, be very, like I say, suspicious of it, right? If that wasn't how, that's not how we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's a role for you and there's a role for me. There's a role for every single person who gets connected with us or anything to de-escalate the threat, to build the bridge, to connect with other people, to fight against the isolation that so many folks are going through. Mm-hmm. I believe that's a calling that we have. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why Christians sometimes are so bad at it. Here we have been loved with the most gracious, loving man, Jesus, and we have a hard time turning around and offering that to some people. Yeah. When we've been the recipients of it. What do you make of that though? Cause, cause I, I think it's fear. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is just fear. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I'm not going to be okay. Right. I'm afraid you're going to judge me. Right. I'm afraid I'm going to be rejected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm afraid I'm going to lose out if I go this way. I'm afraid I'll feel overwhelmed. You know, that's why I don't help people or I don't, I, I can't be interrupted. You know, if somebody needs help on the side of the road, I can't, I got to be somewhere. I can't stop and help you. Yeah. So there is one relationship that is a sacrament. Marriage. Yeah, it's marriage. I want to talk about marriage today. Is that good? I love marriage. Mm-hmm. Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard? Because it is hard. Isn't it, it is hard. Because look at how, how many fail. Mm-hmm. You know, there, I saw a, um, a research paper 
where it showed that 70% of people who are married are unhappy that they're married to that person. Mm. Isn't that awful? Mm -hmm. Seven out of 10 in this research. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what's going on there? Well, I think most of us are unhappy with ourselves and we feel like we've let ourselves down. We've let our wife down or husband down, our spouse down and, and we're just too frustrated and can't figure out how to make it right. I don't think we, I think we do blame our spouse, but I think we also blame ourselves. Do you really? Okay. What's that look like in your, because you do a lot of marriage counseling. I don't, I don't do a ton of it. It's, it's always in the, not always, but it's often in the mix, but they're better people than me to work on your marriage with, but I do have to deal with it. But what do you see? What I see is 90% of the problem is communication and lack of communication or misunderstanding. You mean they ignore each other? Is that what you mean by not communicate? Because we're always communicating. Look, if I turn my back on you and fold my arms, that's a communication technically. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of information in that, isn't there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that people think we can do more in a day than we can do. And I think the screen time hasn't helped marriages mm -hmm. as much as we give it time for. I know. It sucks you in too. Cause I was telling Kathy, he says, you know what we do? Cause and I understand we're tired. She works. I work. But we're like in bed together, but I'm looking at a screen and she's looking at a screen and it's not the same screen even. Right. Right. Yeah. I think neglect. In. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think anger. I don't think affairs. I, I think those are all real and they're mm -hmm. legitimate and hugely damaging to marriage. But a lot of marriage counselors would say the number one problem that couples have in a marriage is neglect. Mm-hmm of the other person, neglect of face-to-face -face time, neglect of companionship time where you're involved and our brains are wired differently. We have different needs. Yeah. We don't communicate them. That's so true, Matt. I've had a few guys, um, they tell me about how they fight. The wife usually tells me this and the guy gets so frustrated. He goes, you're faster than I am. You can think faster. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's true. Though. I mean, look, I have one daughter and three sons and I saw the difference. I mean, her language develops so much more quickly. And if your language develops quickly, then you think there's certain thoughts we can't have without the language for it. Right. 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 So there is a difference with that. Yeah. I know there's been a, a number of books written, sociology and study and some from practical experience and from counseling experience of the basic differences between men and women. I think the biggest one that listeners would know from 20 years ago, 25 years ago was called men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. Yeah. I remember that dude. Gray is his last name, right? Gray. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a book very similar 10 years earlier that actually was still in print and still used by some of the psychology people at Minrith Meyer clinic. And it was called his needs, her needs. And the idea is men have different needs than women, you know, a top need for men is for sexual fulfillment. Mm -hmm. A top need for women is affection. And yeah. they're completely different. But we all, we just lump them in the same. To me, affection was nothing more than foreplay to get what I really wanted. And right. yet for a woman, that's the end degree. That's the end goal is this affection. But we don't understand that about each other. We should talk about 1 Corinthians 7. I don't hear that preached very often. You Do you have it right there? I have it, yeah. Let's hear it. Okay. Um, now concerning the things whereof you, uh, this is King James, I just like it. I just think it's good writing. Um, now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. 
Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. Now, look, you're a servant. See, that's that's the attitude. We have to be servants. You know, um, we'll talk more about that later, I hope. Um, and likewise, also the wife unto the husband. The wife had not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise, also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Okay, we can stop there, I think. Mm-hmm. That's a huge issue when I see problems in, in marriages, that they're not together on that, right? I don't know. What do you think about that? Do you hear that preached much? I don't because you know why I think it's not preached and then I'll let you answer. There is a very pernicious philosophy and I'm probably going to get some people mad at me, but I want to say it where we're trained to view every relationship as a power relationship. Who is winning? And then the game is, no, you don't get dominance. I get dominance. Right. And, and, and it looks like an attack on masculinity really too. Right. Taking the worst example of, of a male and then generalizing it to innocent people. I see that done all the time and I'm not going to name the philosophies and go, go that far with it, but I think you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Mm-hmm. It was taught to me in college. Yeah. Every relationship is a power relationship. That's just not true, especially if you're a Christian. Christ came as a servant. That's how he displayed his ultimate power. Yes, abs- there you go. So maybe it is a power relationship, but it certainly isn't the way that people are, are, are thinking of it, right? right? That's real power, yeah. right? So when I see marriages in trouble, it's because one or both people assumed that that person they married was going to meet every single need they ever had. They were going to entertain them and love them and be available to them. And when that doesn't happen, they think, oh, I have a bad marriage because of her or because Mm of him. When the game is this, be a good servant now. And that doesn't mean you're going to be exploited either, because that's the game on the other side, too. Now, when you get two people with that servant heart, you've got a great marriage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To outdo one another in love, to outdo one another in acts of service. How can I minister to Lee best today? Wow, man. See now how many people were taught that that's what you're, um, that's how, I mean, we say, you know, in, in the first Corinthians thing, you know, love is patient, love is kind. But if you think about that, that's, that's agape. You can do that with everybody. Yeah. Especially in a marriage. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think some of the most miserable people don't even realize it, but they aren't serving anybody but themselves. And they're not even serving themselves well. Because if you were serving yourself well, you would realize that the way that you're going to experience love and relationship and connection and meaning and purpose is to go out and serve somebody. And that doesn't mean ever, you know, that doesn't just mean in a soup kitchen, although they are struggling and need help, but it can be serving your neighbor and, and you don't have to think of it as something big but something to do. I wanted to reread what you wrote, what you read in first Corinthians chapter seven, Excellent. The NIV. Good. Do it. So now for the matters you wrote about, it's good for a man not to marry, but since there is much immorality, each man should have his own wife, each woman, her own husband. Listen to how mutual it is. And, and this is the ultimate thing of trust. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. And here's something interesting that I think people haven't heard. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. And then the very next verse says this, in the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except for mutual consent and for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. 
How practical is that when you think about it? Real practical. Yeah. Real practical. Yeah, but the mutuality of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every so often, and I heard a retired judge, Carl Fink, say, every time I get frustrated with my wife, Jane, I think, what must it be like for her to have to be married to me? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've had that thought. <laughs> yeah, and then I feel sorry for her. <laughs> Gosh, she does so much. And she loves so many people and she puts herself out there to help so many different people. And, and it makes me love her more when I realize that. Yeah. Admiration. You admire her mm-hmm. as a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I like that, man, because a lot of times we're just looking at getting our needs met, right? Just getting our needs met. And what you're saying, and I agree with you is that you meet your needs by giving. I, have yet I, I I talk to people about this, but and and no one's changed my mind yet. But I think that you feel love by giving it. I don't think that like I just passively just receive love and feel that feeling that I'm calling love. Now I feel something else, like maybe gratitude mm-hmm. you know, if someone's caring for me or something like that. But that actual thing that we call love that, that we use that label for, I feel it by doing it. Yeah, yeah, it's a kickback emotion. A kickback emotion. You know what I mean? Like when I find a way to connect with somebody, to encourage somebody, to Mm -hmm. reach somebody, to call somebody, that's when I experience the most love versus just kind of sitting there waiting, taking my temperature, you know, feeling my pulse and saying, do I feel love yet? Do I feel love yet? Yeah. And we're back to loving your enemy too, Mm -hmm. because that is when it is reached its conclusion. That's when it's, when it's, in its fullness. Right. And, and also it keeps us from being bitter and resentful. Yeah. Yeah. Towards other people. Yeah. You know, one step further on this idea of what love looks like is from John 15, 13, when Jesus is on the night that he's being betrayed by Judas, he says this greater love has no man than this or no one than this, that you lay down your life for your friends. The greatest act of love is to lay down your yes. life for your friends. Now, whether that means physically laying down your life for your friends until you're called to that kind of giving up of your life, what is it? It's serving. It's servanthood. It's not worrying about status, not worrying about anything, but how can I minister to this person? How can I serve this person in this moment? When I walk into a room at a meeting, to look around and say, hey, how can I help the person who's leading this meeting best? When I come into a conversation with somebody, how can I serve you in this moment? How can I help you? Until we're called to lay down our lives physically, dying for somebody, um, greater love has no one than this, that you lay down your life for your friends. So until you're called to die for them, yes. what does that look like this side of death? It looks like serving, laying down your life. I think we can imagine that because um, I would lay down my life for my children and for my wife. Mm-hmm. I would partially because the pain of surviving them would be just too much to bear, but also it's, it's, that's, that's how much it exists. Right. Um, John 13, John 15, 13. No, I'm, I'm going to read. John oh, no, you're going John 13. Yeah. John 13, because see, Christ was a great teacher. So he acted things out too to show us, to demonstrate it, to demonstrate the path. He, he was the path demonstrated for us. Yeah. The only time it was done. Okay. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments. Stop right da- there. Yes. He washed their feet. What does that mean symbolically? Symbolically, 
in first century Palestine and, and, and then Jewish culture, there were people connected with households and the lowliest of the servants would wash the visitor's feet. It was an act of hospitality. It was also an act of practicality because I think they just wore sandals and it was mm-hmm. dirty and yeah. they didn't have bathtubs. They didn't have showers, but what they could do is wash the feet, but the master of the gathering would never wash the feet. It would be the lowest servant that does that. Okay. Start it again. I love that you said that, Matt, because that is what we aspire to in our marriages. If you're married or maybe you're just with someone, but it doesn't matter in that relationship. Mm -hmm. That's what we're to aspire to. It's not a, it's not a standpoint of selfishness. And he's not just talking about marriage, finding ways to serve your friends, finding a way to serve your neighbors, finding a way to serve even your enemies, you know, people in your community, people in your housing unit, people in whatever. Right. It's one love. Like Bob Marley said, it's one love. Either it's there or it's not. When it's there, it's there. When it's not, it's not. And then we have to find our way back to it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, He said to them, "Uh, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do, as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. That is kind of my theme for 2022. You know, I lead some men's groups. I lead this 20-something guys group. I lead the staff. And we have plenty of knowledge already about faith. We have plenty of knowledge of how we're to help one another. The only thing missing for a lot of people is the doing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we get ourselves so sick that we cannot find something to do for people. But that's pretty rare if we're really honest. Well, and it's also a way out, isn't it, though? Exactly. The way out is by doing it. You know, you're not going to feel like doing it. Don't wait to be motivated. Create the motivation by doing. Right. In terms of, of how, when you come alongside somebody who's in need of help, you know, psychological help and therapy and treatment, how does that play out in your role as a psychologist treating somebody? Um, Like what's my attitude? How do you help them to start doing? And is that a pathway for your patients? Oh, absolutely. Look, I'm a behaviorist at heart, right? What is that? Well, it's, it's doing really that we're conditioned and we are products of our habits. Mm-hmm. And that those could be actual physical habits. Like I lay in bed too much because I'm depressed, or it can be habits of thought. This is why prayer is so important because it changes us. It replaces habits that are more um, profane with habits that are, you know, looking toward the sacred. Okay. So, so I get people to, to do right. And um, also, I just feel like I disappear in a therapy session. I'm not there. It, sometimes it goes 50 minutes, five zero. Sometimes mm-hmm. feels like five minutes because I'm so, Im- I, I try to so immerse into the person's world. That changes people. 
you know, what's interesting about my profession is this. Um, there are some techniques that are better studied and have a better research base, but technique doesn't account for all that much. So I say I'm a behaviorist. That's just my way. But people mm-hmm. change a lot of different ways. But that relationship is critical. When you have someone and you have uh, what Carl Rogers called um, unconditional positive regard, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't have that, but I do have, I know what you could become. And I have that in high regard, right? I really do believe that that's what changes people. And I, and I watch them change. And it changed me too. I get therapists who did that. And la- the, the one I had when Kathy was... Um, because I couldn't bear the suffering. I couldn't stand to see her that sick for that long. It started wearing me down. Mm-hmm. But the the woman who helped me, she's Christian. Um, it wasn't what she said. It wasn't advice or anything like that, but she suffered with me. And that that's something on a spiritual level that can really change you, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's that connection. And that's something that good therapy helps provide. Not only that, but when you really know Christ, that's what you're doing. You know, yeah, his teachings are important and that's good information, all that kind of stuff. But when you know him, because I remember when I first came, I felt the presence and I mourned for his sacrifice, you know, like it was an emotional thing that I didn't fully understand. Like, why is this hitting me like that? But it was a real presence of of the Holy Spirit of Christ. That's what changed One of the spiritual disciplines, yeah, is practicing the presence of Christ. Yes, So as you're doing a deep dive, as you're seeking to help somebody, as you're seeking to help yourself in order to help someone, it it doesn't, you don't just fix yourself before you start helping. Oh, you know what? I'm so glad that you said that because this is really important, folks, kitties. It's so unselfish to make sure that you present yourself to other people with as much health as you can find for yourself. It's so valuable. Your positivity, you're like, well, that doesn't seem like a but No, it's huge. When you show up when somebody is suffering and they can't see any light and you come and you have that positivity and show them the possibilities and that light, that's on a level, I don't know, you probably have to study physics to figure out exactly what's going on there, but it changes people. You know, they talk about people who have lost a spouse or a loved one or a parent and Nobody remembers all the folks who genuinely mean it when they say, call me if you need anything. Mm -hmm. And they do mean it. If you called them, they would be okay with it. But what people do remember is the person that showed up and said, I'm here. We don't have to talk. I'm just going to do your dishes. I'm going to wipe down your counters. I'm going to cut your grass. I'm going to straighten up stuff in your garage. That's what people remember. That reminds me of when I was... 17 or 18, my sister died. And um, the guy that I remember, because lots of people said they were sorry and they were, like you said, but the, the thing I remember is this guy didn't really say anything, but he just like put his hand on my shoulder. Okay. That spoke volumes to me. Just that physical presence with somebody. Yeah. And the spirit that he brought with it. Because I knew that he was feeling what I was feeling, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he didn't try to encapsulate it or put words on it. Right. Yeah. That's relationship. That's right. It's a, don't underestimate it. They talk about that in seminary and it's called the ministry of presence, mm. which I for a long time thought, oh, that just means you're there with somebody and you don't know what to say. So you just stay quiet with them. But no, that's not it. It's so much more than that. 
And those of us who have received Christ, those of us who have said, I know I am a sinner. I'm not innocent. I'm not good. I'm a sinner, but God is so good that he comes for sinners. And so it's like you have both extremes, which is exactly what the gospel, the message of the faith is, is it's not good versus bad. It's, it's humble versus proud. It's me saying, I am in need, God, and looking for people to come alongside me and looking for you to come alongside me. And ministry of presence is going and just being with this person and sitting with them while they cry or crying with them mm -hmm. or just being there not to fix it. You know, I experienced this so profoundly on the receiving end for, for a change about five years ago, my best friend, who was my best friend from about seventh through 11th grade, we rode our bikes to school every day in junior high. We hung out two or three days a week after school playing Dungeons and Dragons. And we'd always play Risk and we'd play Monopoly with my sister, Jema, And she would always just get up and walk away unless somehow she got the Reds and the railroads. And so we had to make sure she got that. It was hilarious, but he died. And I went downstairs and I just was going through some old photos with him and my wife just let me mm -hmm. and she let me cry when I needed to cry and just think about all of that. And I didn't want her to rescue me from it. She allowed me to just wallow in it in the right way. Not for too, too long. Yeah. But it would have been like invasive or inappropriate in our relationship. If she tried to rescue me from it or came and said, Oh, anything. I just needed her to be there with me. And she understood the depth of what, what I was grieving and let me. Yes. Right. right. And I knew she was there, but I also knew I didn't want to be rescued from that process. Right. Um, yeah, that's what grief is. Um, people kind of run from it. Um, and that causes problems because what we are doing is you were dwelling in the fullness of that relationship and um, discovering what was lost and experiencing it and then maybe discovering what's left over. Right. Like the memories that you have. And yeah. I don't know what I was discovering, but I just knew I needed to, you know, Stay there. Live in that. Yeah. Stay there and not have anybody come and say, oh, it's going to be okay. I didn't, yeah. it would, it was what I exactly did not need was somebody to come and cheer me up. Yeah. To the degree that we love, that will be the measure that we feel the hurt mm -hmm. when it changes, when it goes away. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what nostalgia is too. Because um, when I watch old videos and stuff, there's a sweetness, but there's a sadness in watching my little kids that aren't here anymore in those, in those times. And you don't want anyone to interfere with it, you know, right. You just take it in. Right. Yeah. It really is amazing. But yet that's the presence that we're inviting people into that kind of a relationship. And imagine when it is God, when it is Jesus, who I say is my next breath, I can go there and know he is with me. I can face a really scary situation. I can face, you know, potential, Oh, this is going to be a headache. But knowing he is with me changes everything about it for me, that I truly am not alone. And we get lost and expect it, right? 
you have what do you call them like dry seasons or something what did you what do you yeah call them? dark you nights know? of the soul dry yeah. seasons you're gonna go through that because I've, I've been going through it in the last two years like you know i couldn't see my family and covid just you know the nuclear family or whatever couldn't see my mom um all of the you know rituals and things that we usually do are gone and for the second year in a row and whatever and i, I was thinking about this today because i'm having a really good day today you know feel good again i think that it's just it's just makes me surrender that's all it does. I have nothing else to lean on. I got no rock but this, right? And then um, maybe I'll get better at it and then it'll become more natural the next time this happens, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the world needs men yeah. and women who have that, who can be there in a way a lot of the rest of the world can't because they're addicted to the cult of here and now because they're so caught up in their feelings because they are going through them unaware of the availability of God and the love of God and this idea that greater love has no one than this to lay down your life for your friends. So what better place to practice on, to practice this, or what better person to practice on than in a marriage? Right. You know, what a great opportunity every day to practice this and develop this in yourself, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to be a servant. Yeah. Don't get exploited because if you're in that model that we're talking about, that political model of, um, well, you know, no, you got to get the power. You're being, you know, it's the patriarchy or something like. That. Oh gosh. Um, yeah, and, that's oh, so... Man, that's so bad for the person doing it too because it makes mm-hmm. them bitter and resentful, and it takes the possibility of love away. It's gone. Yeah. It's also like you said, it is pride versus humility. You said that a few minutes ago, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what it is because um, we say, "I'm your humble servant." You can't be a servant without being humble. You can look like it, but you know, you're the person that rolls your eyes at your boss or something like that or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uses butt or something. Yeah, total yeah, animosity. Yeah, but to just come with humility and when somebody's being a jerk, you realize they're suffering, man. They're, you know, it's not like they were they dreamed of being that person. Or they're lost. Maybe that's what you think. Like, okay, they're lost. I've been there before. I've done that before, you know, and then we, ours, our way is the way of humility. That's what I look for. Early on, I didn't know who to go to, you know, I went to you and that was good. But part of what I really liked about you is you're very humble. You know, I didn't see pride in you. And then then that helped me to to trust you. But these Christians that are arguing with each other, Mm. you're almost disqualifying yourself as having any expertise. If you can't get that basic thing right, that you don't score points on people, that you have a little humility um, Mm -hmm. in yourself. I just, I get away from it. I don't judge them or anything like that because man, that was my poison was arrogance. You know, it's a defense, but I got to understand that that's what they're doing too. And I I put them in a position of of expert. Right. Am I being too tough? Nope. No, we're supposed to live with grace and truth and they're not opposites, but they feel like opposite. And a lot of people who we forget the incredible amount of grace we've received. Mm -hmm. And so out of fear, out of misunderstanding, out of laziness or pride or selfishness, we, we forget we are completely 100% on the receiving end of God's grace when it comes time to offer that to somebody else, especially the person who knows us the most, who knows our secrets, who knows our foibles. Seen our worst moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hypothetically speaking. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And we just take our spouse for granted. 
Uh-huh. And we end up then neglecting because they're going to be there. Yeah. And, and we don't work on it. We don't work at it. We don't serve at it. And we totally miss out. Right. Yeah. Cause what it was, it's Corinthians, that, that line in first Corinthians 13, right? Love never fails. Now I've thought about that a lot. Cause I don't know what that means. What love never fails. What does that mean? I've seen it fail before. No, it doesn't. Not if you're persistent, if you're yeah. persistent, that will win. Right. The, the kindness that comes with that, you know, and what's failing may not be what God would consider love. doesn't mean people don't fail. doesn't mean we don't fail. Yeah. Gotcha. But we're not, we're so covered in love that when we fail, I think the way that we fail most is by neglect and just taking that for granted and not realizing the incredible blessings that we may have. I think you're right. We got to do a show on that because I'm, because I've been studying that because that, that's, that's our sin is acidia. I've heard it's pronounced acadia too. Mm-hmm. Acadia, acidia, whatever. Tell us what acidia is again. Well, I, I'm just, I've just, I've just been learning about it for the last few weeks, but it is, um, it's translated as despondency, but then people confuse that with depression. It's not, it's the, the, the separation from God and that experience of being separate from God and it zaps our zeal, but it can also look like playing video games, right? Or something like that, which I like to do that in the morning. I play those bubble popping games because it relaxes me <laughs> and I listen to, I know, man, stupid. And I, but I listen to like lectures and sermons and things while yeah. I do it, you know, and it kind of relaxes me, but you don't want to get too much into that, right? Because now your eyes are below and not above, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's also, um, it's a mix of boredom and anxiety which my gosh, with this COVID, especially when we had the lockdowns, that's what people were feeling, right? Mm-hmm. Contrast that with that feeling of grace, that grace as the um, God at work and, and, and experiencing God at work, you know, and, and you can contrast those two things. And it is a trap. It is, um, you know, seeking um, um, excitement instead of peace. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Wow. We got to do an episode on that. Yeah. A whole year on that one. Learn how to pronounce it first. Uh, me too. I've just pronounced it five different ways, so I've confused everybody. A C E D I A, and we don't have good translations for that in the West. And I don't think that that's you know a coincidence. It's more an Orthodox lexicon uh, type of a word, kind of Eastern Christianity. Yeah. But but the Catholics do it too. Sometimes they call it sloth, but I don't like that translation because that that we think that means that we're just being lazy. People who are experiencing that, they're not being lazy. They're lost. When I experience that, it's not like, you know, I feel like I've chosen the highest thing. You know, we get sucked into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, in terms of that relationship, I wonder if it's like a conversation I had with someone. You know, there's our head and there's our heart. There's our mind, there's our spirit, there's our body. And, and to know we are loved in all those ways by God. Yes. And right. thus... We learn to give ourselves to that kind of love of God for the people around us. Yeah. And, and, and Matt, that's where I think that we have to be disciplined. We have to have spiritual practices. We have to get better at it. We have to develop at it because the world is not going to help us with this one. You know, it's going to bring us, take us in the opposite direction of that. Yeah. What does this mean for your week? This conversation? Um, I'm going to reflect on it like I always do. I'm going to, you've said a few things that I want to sit with. I'm going to really practice humility, you know, and, and become the number one guy at humility <laughs> that everyone loves. 
And it's the Rick Warren quote, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Yeah. I thought that was C.S. Lewis. I thought so too. And I've it's said not, that for it's, a Rick while. Warren? Oh. it's Rick Warren. It's Rick Warren. C.S. Lewis has great quotes on humility yeah. as well. But yeah. okay. what I think this is going to mean this week is I'm going to realize the, the great precious gem value that I've been given in basically every relationship that I have. Mm-hmm. Oh, gratitude for those. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I want to treasure them. And what, it, what would it look like to polish the gem of this relationship? Yeah, right on. Because the light that the gem shows any gemstone, what if I translate that in my head to that is the light of God and the beauty of it and the, you know, just the, the depth of it that draws you to it. And if I could, if I could realize that is of God, what can I make of God in my relationship with my wife and my relationship with yeah. people at the church with my relationship with my next door neighbor that I wave at every time we take the trash out, you know, yeah. but I never walk over and maybe that's the action step. Maybe mm-hmm. that's a way to serve. Even if it's to talk for five extra minutes, I want to create some space in my schedule to cultivate that. Uh, that's excellent. So we'll circle back next week and see how we did. We're going to continue the relationship. Right on. Because it's 22, you know, like two are better than one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Let's and peanut butter. I love it. Hey, listen, we should pray. Yes. Yes. God, I thank you so much that you came and you showed us grace that we we're not inventing this stuff. We're simply naming what we have received and who we have received. And Lord, there is so much to be said from a psychological standpoint, from a a pastoral standpoint, from a spiritual standpoint, from a relational standpoint. God, we are not in isolation. We are not doing this in isolation. Life never came to us in isolation, no matter how some of us feel. I pray, God, that you would expose the feelings. You would expose the the flaw to our thinking when we are so divided and alone. And Lord, for people in a marriage relationship, I pray that you would bless that relationship and that you would help us serve in those relationships. And for those of us who aren't in a marriage relationship, that we would find such um, opportunity in community to serve one another, to to lay down our lives for each other and that that would be completely a part of who we are. Thank you, God, that we are never truly alone when we are in you, but that you are with us in our next breath. Lord, help us to lean into that, to lean into you. And I thank you, God, for this new year and for this new day and what you have yet in store. Lord, we go in eyes wide open and and leaning on you for every breath. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can check out the show notes from this episode, get free resources, discover more about our work, and all the ways to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the show. Head over to drmartinfletcher.com.